Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Jews are calling you Gentiles. That in that time, at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off were made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that's a neat word, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of two one new man so making peace, and that he might reconcile both Jews and Gentiles, uncircumcision and circumcision, may reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and peached, preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit unto the Father. From this passage, and I, I felt like I wanted to get it all in, I cut, pasted, tried to decide how much to read, but I wanted you to see this context. I want to speak today on the healing of the cross. Thank you for standing. God bless you. You can be seated. That word enmity is a way of life. In the beginning, the Bible said God created man in his own image, Genesis 1 and 27. In the image of God created he, him, Male and female created he them. Satan tempted, Eve bit, Adam fell, and sin enslaved the human race. The relationship between God and man was severed by sin and the associated shame drove man into hiding. Our relationship with God, you can visualize it as a vertical relationship was broken by sin. And from that first sin, though, God made a promise that one day a man born of a woman would crush the head of that tempter, the serpent, and he would deal Satan a fatal blow. Genesis 3.14, God speaks to the serpent, and the first prophecy of a Messiah to come is in Genesis 3.15. So from the very beginning and the fall of man, there is a promise of a restoration to come. The broken relationship between God and man read, led to relational dysfunction that started in the first family. The first family had enmity between brothers over worship, over spiritual matters, it caused jealousy that led to murder, a fratricide, the killing of a brother. 
The Bible said in Genesis 4 that Cain rose up and killed. He slew his brother Abel. Now this word enmity in the Bible and in life refers to a deep-rooted hatred and an irreconcilable hostility. It is something between parties that there doesn't seem any resolution to. It has no hope of ever being reconciled or resolved. But from the beginning of the human race, we observe how these differences don't just divide people from God, but they divide people from one another. Left unchecked, they will not only divide us, but they will destroy us. The sin violated that vertical relationship with God. But the natural next step is always problems between other people, between us and other people. I see it as those horizontal relationships, our vertical relationship with God, our horizontal relationships with other people. And the Ten Commandments bear this out. The first four, that first table of the law, deal with our relationship with God. The last table of the law, Commandments 5 through 10, deal with our relationships with other people. But all the way from back then to the Garden of Eden, then expelled and Cain killing his brother Abel, from all the way in that time there was a, a middle wall, a partition that was between people. Prejudice, hatred, conquest for control has driven the human race through that first murder of fratricide to homicide, the killing of other people, to genocide, which is the deliberate killing of a large number of people from a particular nation or ethnic group with the aim of destroying that nation or group. I'm not saying that on accident to see how many sides I can give you today. But intentionally from world history and from what the cross did for us. There is infanticide, the killing of babies. Moses did that. Excuse me, Pharaoh did that in the days of Moses in Egypt. Herod did that in Palestine in the days of Jesus. And I was interested about side and it's borrowed from the Latin. It means killer or to kill and it is used to form compound words. All those variations of killing other people are rooted in this enmity, this middle wall of partition. These conflicts, these interpersonal problems are the result of the fall of mankind into sin. And enmity is as old as a human race. You can go back and read the history of the Bible, world history. The Bible tells us in Acts 17 that God has made of one blood all nations for to dwell upon the face of the earth. Theoretically, we are all the human race. That's the race that we are a part of. But there was familial enmity, Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, the prodigal son and his older brother and other people that had a falling out with brothers or sisters, family members. There was historical enmity 
Nebuchadnezzar's image that saw world empires of Babylon, that head of gold. The Medo-Persian empire, those, that arm and chest of silver. The Grecian empire, the belly and thighs of brass. The Roman empire, legs of iron. And the future empire of the revived Roman empire, feet of iron and clay. All of those, all of those great world empires existed for conquest. And because of enmity of destroying and bringing captive other nations. Throughout history, there have been ethnic wars where genocide was the process of eliminating those that we saw different from us. That we didn't like. That we thought were inferior to us. That genocide existed in the days of Esther when, or attempted genocide when Haman wanted to kill all the Jews in all the world. I went back and you can do it for yourself. In a simple Google search here and there. There have been many genocides in the history of our world. And I'll name just a few. From 1206 to 1405 AD. The Mongol genocide. They went and killed about 11% of the population of the world. Somewhere between 37.75 to, to 60 million people died in Eurasia at least 35 million deaths were in China. Unbelievable. Nazi Germany, the killing of 3 million Polish people. The Holocaust, the death of 6 million Jews. The Cambodian genocide, 15 to 33% of the population of Cambodia wiped out. You can read through the decreasing numbers from Africa, Asia, South America, Central America, the Middle East, Australia, New Zealand, uh, the United States of America back in the days of Native Americans being wiped out. And there is no political answer to the enmity that exists between people at all levels of society. We can have peace talks. We can elect a different politician, but there is something rooted in the fallen nature of mankind that has caused the separation. Pointing ahead to the end time. Jesus said there shall be wars and rumors of wars. He said that nation would rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. We may think that we're going to outgrow enmity and hatred. But the Bible doesn't say that that is possible humanly. Because in our future and in our present we see that nation is rising against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. And it will even affect Christians. Jesus said in this same passage, Matthew 24, that we will be hated of all men for his name's sake. And many false prophets will arise. My goal in, to this point in my message is just to remind you a little bit of a heritage of enmity that has existed not just between God and man because of sin. But be between people. Husbands and wives. Parents and children. Family members in the same family. Different social classes. Cultural groups. Races and nationalities. In our current climate. 2021. We do not have peace on earth. Around the globe. And here at home. There is an enmity that divides relationships and destroys lives. We see it 
in our culture, this is where we live right now. So there is history, there is future, there is the present. We see that our culture is a culture of polarization. People being pulled to extreme positions, to polar opposite views. From the far right to the far left. The cancel culture, the woke culture of trying to be aware and pointing out all the social flaws and the racial injustice and social injustice in our country. The racial and cultural tensions that we experience. And we know that these social issues have moral ramifications like abortion and transgender rights in our country. Even over the pandemic and the COVID-19 lockdowns, people have been polarized to positions of mask wearers and no mask wearers and, and fear and isolation and, and the falling out and alienation of people over something that was meant to try to help. These issues are real. They're part of our day. But they're rooted in something deeper than a cultural phenomenon or a pandemic. They're as old as human nature and old as the human race. And it is rooted in sin. There are many people who are are being exploited by those with agendas designed to procure power and eliminate their enemies. There is a deep divide of hurt. In our country. It is not caused by politics. It is caused by sin. It is caused by fractured families. It is an enmity that can be traced back to the Garden of Eden. And we should never forget that hurting people tend to hurt other people. I want you to understand that these cultural conflicts that we're facing in our country are not unique to our times. Historically, the conflict has never been more pronounced than the enmity that existed in biblical times between Jews and Gentiles. Jews and everybody else. That's how it was back then. In the times of Jesus and in the early church, we see this cultural conflict on full display. There's Jesus with the woman at the well. She says to him, the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. We have the woman of Canaan that comes to Jesus. And he says, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it's not proper for me to give the children's bread to dogs. But she refuses to be offended. She has great faith in spite of being on the outside looking in. In the early church, spirit-filled people struggled with this cultural conflict. There's Cornelius the Gentile praying. There's Peter the apostle praying. God speaks to Cornelius. God speaks to Simon Peter in a vision three times. Cornelius sends men. The Lord says, go with them doubting nothing. For I have sent them. Peter gets to Cornelius' house. And he said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Well, I'm finally glad that dawned on you. Don't you remember what you preached on the day of Pentecost? That God was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. 
You preached it, but you're struggling with what you preach, not because it's not true, but because you've got this enmity that has existed for millennium. Peter preaches. Holy Ghost falls. Cornelius and his household are baptized. Peter has to give an account of that in Acts chapter 11. He tells the story. They said, you went to men that were uncircumcised. You went to Gentiles. And he says, I had a vision. The Lord said, go. I was minding my own business preaching. And the Holy Ghost fell on them just like on us at the beginning. And what could I do? I had to baptize them. I guess God gave them the light gift that he gave us. So maybe he loves Gentiles too. And they said, well, God, I guess God's granted Gentiles repentance unto life. We didn't want it to happen, but it looks like God did. In Acts 15, there's a Jerusalem council. Jews are traveling around telling Gentile new believers that they need to be circumcised, follow the ceremonial law of the Old Testament in order to be saved, like Christ plus the law equals salvation. So they have a convocation, a general conference, and, and the board gets together, and the Apostle Peter gives a record of how the Gentiles by his mouth heard the gospel and were saved, and how God put no difference between us and them purifying their heart by faith and he gave them the Holy Ghost even as he did us and and he said we don't need to tempt God and try to put a yoke on these people that we've never been able to bear and Paul and Barnabas gave their report about the miracles and wonders that God had worked among the Gentiles and and all of this brought about a sense of healing in that early church it is the healing that comes by the cross but not without great effort. This is the work of the cross, the the theme of my messages on Sunday in the month of March, the cross, Isaiah 53, 4. Isaiah looked ahead to what Jesus would do. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the entire world, and his death brought healing to the entire scope of human suffering. Isaiah 53, 4 says he carried our griefs or our our sicknesses. He carried our sorrows or our pain. It doesn't speak in that verse specifically of our sins. Verse 5 speaks of our transgressions. But it is with the stripes that Jesus bore in his body that he carried to the cross that brought our healing. First, our spiritual healing, our emotional healing, our mental healing, our physical healing. But the stripes that he carried in his body on the cross also gave provision for relational healing, that there is no enmity that exists between any two parties or any group of people that cannot be healed by the blood of the cross. Our entire being 
is saved by the cross. When Jesus died, the veil, the curtain in the temple that separated man from God was torn in two, giving us access into the presence of God. Matthew 27 tells of that. It was symbolic of the tearing of the flesh of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In the cross, Jesus gave access to God by tearing that veil in two so that we could come into the presence of God. We, have, we can have boldly, we can come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But the work of the cross was not limited just to that vertical relationship with God. Something happened in the death of Jesus Christ that we read about today that Paul spoke about in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 11. Again, wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and Strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar, were afar off were made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Most of us in the house today and watching online are Gentiles. We are not Jewish people. But Gentiles, Paul said, you are without Christ. You didn't have fellowship with Jesus, but you didn't have fellowship with Jews. You couldn't come into the body of the covenant people that God had chosen all the way back in Abraham. Verse 14. For he is our peace who hath made both one. He took Jews, he took Gentiles, and he brought them together on the cross. And he has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He abolished in his flesh on the cross that hatred, that irreconcilable difference that could not be resolved any other way. You couldn't sit down and talk it out. It had to be destroyed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And in his body, he made in himself of two peoples, Jews and Gentiles, one new man, so making peace. He reconciled both to God, and in his cross, verse 16, he slew the enmity. In other words, there was something that stood between us that Jesus killed on the cross. 
So not only was the vertical relationship healed, but the potential for healing between you and every other person was made possible by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is no relationship so broken that it cannot be healed by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, he preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. We were separated from God by our sins, brought close by the blood of Jesus Christ. We were separated from one another by sin, but we were made one by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I know we think in terms of races and cultures and colors and languages, but in the Bible, the greatest division the greatest separating factor was Jew and Gentile. You can break Gentiles down however you want. You can break Jews into those who were Hebrews and Grecians. But it all comes down to this, that it doesn't matter what has separated you from anyone else. It can be healed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. It doesn't matter who may have a feeling of superiority. The Jews had a reason to feel they were superior. But they were not. In the middle wall. That they erected between themselves and the rest of the world. Was high and thick. Strong. Paul said in verse 14. It was between us. You couldn't get to God by, because you couldn't get through us. Every time you looked at us with our hatred, pre prejudice, condescending attitude, how could you love our God that you haven't seen when you couldn't see love in us that you could see? Jews on one side, Gentiles on the other. But Jesus preached peace in his cross. Amen. The middle wall of partition in Herod's temple, in the Jewish temple, there was a wall of partition. We don't know for sure this is what Paul envisioned when he wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. But in the Jewish temple, there was a wall. And if you were a Gentile, you could come to that wall, but you could not go any farther. The Jewish historian of the first century, Josephus, describes that middle wall of partition. He said it encircled the higher ground which contained the inner courts and had attached to it at different intervals notices that were written in Greek and Latin warning Gentiles not to proceed any farther or else they could die. So you could come to church, but you had to stay in the foyer. You could come to church, but you couldn't come to the altar. You could come to Judaism as a proselyte as long as you would stay on the outside of that middle wall of partition. It was a material barrier that kept Gentiles 
from getting closer to God and going and mingling among the Jews. It was an imposing and tangible reminder of what existed culturally, mentally, and even spiritually between Jews and everybody else. If the Jews would have had a saying like us that says a place for you, they would have said, yeah, we've got a place for you, all right. It's right out there. And if you come in here, we're going to kill you. You might think that that's just kind of rhetoric, but it is not. All the way in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul was in Jerusalem in Acts 21. He kept a seven-day vow. At the end of that vow, they came into the temple. They got all stirred up. They grabbed him. He was arrested. They said, this guy Paul has brought a Greek into this holy place. He has polluted this. You know why they said that? Because Paul was in the city of Jerusalem with his Ephesian brother who was a Gentile named Trophimus. And because they saw him out there, they, they accused him of bringing him in here. This is not before Christ. This is during the church age. They were non-Christian Jews who tried to kill Paul. And it ultimately led to his arrest and all the way to Caesar and everything that happened in his life. So this is not just rhetoric. It was a middle wall of partition that kept us out to make sure we couldn't get in. But Paul, the same Paul that was arrested by this false accusation was the one who wrote to us that Jesus in his death on the cross, he tore that wall down. He destroyed, he demolished that middle wall of partition so no one says keep out. There are no, no trespassing signs. Whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. In 1 Corinthians 10, 32, Paul speaks about Jews, Gentiles, and the church of God. Early Christians considered themselves as a third race. There's the Jews, and there's the Gentiles, and then there's the church. And the Jews may not like the Gentiles, and the Gentiles may not like the Jews, but in the church, we are all one in Christ. He has brought us together, amen, in one body on the cross, so that there is nothing that should separate brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 16, he reconciled both unto God. In one body, by the cross, he slew the hatred, the enmity that was between us. Jesus took the two most disparate cultures and unified them in the cross. They were no more two, but one. This racial hostility and relational hostility was demolished in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So in our culture, every sin issue needs to be laid at the foot of the cross, repented of, forgiven, and access gained into the presence of God. That's what the veil 
that was torn in the temple did, it gave us access to God. But God is not just concerned about our relationship with Him. He is concerned about our relationship and our relationships with other people. Six of the Ten Commandments are about you and I getting along with one another. Only four about us getting along with God. And they're all interrelated. Every broken relationship also needs to come to the foot of the cross. It may be a broken relationship between a husband and a wife. It may be a prodigal child and parents who have been praying for restoration. It might be a family, an extended family that is fractured. It might be the racial tension in our country that cannot be healed but the political answer. But it has to go to the foot of the cross where there is true repentance and true forgiveness and true healing that Jesus bought and paid for and when he destroyed that middle wall of partition. I'm not pretending that a sermon can fix it, but a sermon can point you to the blood of Jesus Christ that he gave freely on the cross. That you can be saved there. You can be healed there. It is the healing of the nations that comes in the cross. So what does the Bible say about us now? New Testament believers, 1 Corinthians 12. Glad you asked. For as a body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be slaves or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Galatians 3.27 For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. There are no more class divisions, culture divisions, we are new creatures, and we are a new nation. We are a new race in Jesus Christ called the church. Amen. Colossians 3.10. And it put on the new man, the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither, here we go again, Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, which means the lowest social class that existed in that day were the Scythians. Bond or free, but Christ is all. He's all that matters, and He is in all. There's not a black Holy Ghost and a white Holy Ghost. There's not an Asian Holy Ghost, right? There's not an Indian Holy Ghost. There's not a North American Holy Ghost. And, a, and an African Holy Ghost or a European Holy Ghost or an Asian Holy Ghost. It's one spirit that brought us into one body 
at the foot of the cross, the middle wall of partition is broken down. My heritage is higher than my national origin. I am bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Why don't you stand? Why don't you worship him? Why don't you thank him that you know that you belong to him? Hallelujah. I thank you for the work of the cross. I thank you for the healing of the cross. I thank you for the peace that you brought by the cross. Please remain standing. Because I'm a Christian, it doesn't mean that I have to deny my, my heritage, my cultural heritage. Um, like many of us, Heinz 57, you know, a little Greek here and a little Irish there and a little something I don't even know over there. I know we could find out. And in, on St. Patrick's Day, I got pinched because I forgot to wear green. Korean kids, man, they just thought that was important. My great-grandmother was a Kelly, and she would be disappointed in me. It doesn't mean that I have to deny that where I came from and my cultural background. I can understand that. I can be thankful for the good and try to not let anybody know about the bad. But that's not what I'm preaching today. But I identify as a Christian above all else. That's who I belong to. I belong to Jesus Christ. And he tore the veil so I could have access to him. And he demolished the middle wall of partition so I could love you and you could love me. And we could get along while we're getting to heaven. And we could be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We could be a beacon in a world that is fractured by hatred and sin. Say, what is that? That's the church. I've never seen anything like that. No, that's the church. And it was made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. So today I'm not just preaching to make a point. I'm preaching that God would do something. If you've got a root of bitterness in you, whether it is in your marriage or another people group. If you've been agitated by what's going on in our world, both real and also promoted, and there's both. They're real issues. And we need to try to address them as a nation. But I'm just telling you that they can only be healed in the cross. And we have the cross. We have the solution. To the sins of the world and the sins that we've struggled with. And it is in the cross of Jesus Christ. So right now, I want us to repent if necessary. You may need to ask God to forgive you for the way you've treated family members, neighbors, co-workers people of a different culture than yours whatever that whatever needs to happen we need to repent and then if you have been wounded 
And there are many people who have been wounded. Wounded in marriages. Wounded in families. Wounded in our culture. Abused. Looked down on. Mistreated. Hurt. Hurting people tend to hurt other people. We can forgive as Jesus did on the cross. As Stephen did as he was stoned to death. We can release the pain and the hurt and the enmity. Because the Bible said that in his death on the cross, Jesus killed it. He slew that animosity. He made irreconcilable differences reconcilable by his blood.